Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Begin reading in verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Wow. I've been preaching about the resurrection for 56 years now. During that time, I've, uh, I've approached the subject in a lot of different ways. And just out of curiosity, I'll, and this wouldn't include all of the messages, but I, in my record book of what I preached and when I preached it and what have you, what record book I have left after the flood anyway, I, I noticed that I'd preached about the reality of the resurrection. A lot of folks still haven't figured that out. They don't think of it as a reality, but uh, it certainly is. I preached about the reason for the resurrection, the results of the resurrection, uh, the relevance of the resurrection, rejoicing in the resurrection, reviewing the resurrection, remembering the resurrection. And I thought, good night, what, what more is there to, to preach? Uh, you know, and, and regardless of how much you preach, you never cover it all. But this morning, I want to speak to you about evidently uh, a message title that I've never used, and that is responding to the resurrection. You know, I, I want to remind you that truth demands a response. That's why the Bible tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Truth demands response. We are not, we are not free before God to hear his word and then dismiss it as though it was meaningless or unimportant. And whenever we consider the truth of the resurrection, we need to understand that God expects a response of some kind. How we respond defines the kind of person that we are, and it decides the kind of person we will become. Let me say that again. How we respond defines who we are, and it decides the kind of person that we eventually will come. And so I want you to think about our response to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever, whenever the Lord arose from the grave, it gave validity to his words and to his works. In, in other words, it was the evidence, it was the proof that he is who he claimed that he was. And so the evidence then has been submitted, the truth has been presented, and now we are required to respond to that truth. And as we trace through this story, 
uh, you know, we, people respond differently. We see that here in this very chapter, that his resurrection was not without any resistance, for example. Now, if people really understood what it was all about and its great importance, there wouldn't have been resistance. But as you know, the time of the Lord's popularity had come to an end, and, and the crowd had turned against him. The same ones that at one moment were shouting hallelujah are now crying, crucify him, crucify him. Even before Jesus was raised, his enemies remembered what he had said, and that is that he would rise again. He, he spoke about the temple and him being the temple. And he said, you destroyed this temple in three days. I'll raise it up again. And, and the point is that, that these people who are the enemies of Christ remembered what he had said about that. They must have had a better memory than some of his followers because it seems like they'd gone brain dead and didn't even remember. The disciples heard that very thing. They heard what he said, that he was going to be raised again on the third day, but uh, all of a sudden they lose sight of that. But the enemy had not lost sight of it. They resisted it. They sealed the tomb. They guarded the, guarded the tomb with soldiers. They did all of that to prevent a resurrection. So consider the different ways in which the Lord's resurrection was resisted. Look in chapter 27, for example, verse 62, just right across the page. Now the next day that followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last heir shall be worse than the first. And Pilate said unto them, you have a watch, go your way, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. That is, they have guards there protecting that. Their response was to disallow the resurrection. And that's very clear here. And in these verses, we can see the, the fear of the religious leaders. Their, their little house of cards their house of religious cards, as it were, is all going to come tumbling down if he is risen from the dead. And they know that. They have been persistent and insistent that he's not who he claims to be. He's not the Son of God. And out of fear, they decide we're going to disallow this. We're going to do everything within our power to prevent a resurrection. And also we see not only it was out of fear for them, but there was the foolishness of Pilate. Yeah, I mean, here's here someone that could honestly say, I find no fault in, in him. And yet here he is caving to the pressure of the religious crowd. We see the futility of the soldiers. With God, one can chase a thousand. And here they have... These soldiers, we're talking about trained Roman soldiers. And they're going to guard the tomb. I mean, that's idiotic to think that 
that you could guard a tomb that God's going to open, that you could keep him in the grave when he decides to come out. They don't realize who they're dealing with. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and the Bible tells us He is the Creator. He is the one that created it all. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, created it all. He existed long before that Mary gave birth to that little baby. He's the only person ever born. He's older than his mother. And he was because he is eternal. And yet here we see them doing what they can to disallow it. Now look in verse 11 of chapter 28, and we see there are some that try to deny it. Look at verse number 11. Now when they were, were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. They've had their fainting spell. They fell over like dead men when the angel appeared. Now they realize what has happened, so they go into the city to the chief priest, show him everything that is done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, not very wise counsel, by the way, they gave large money. We'd say big bucks today, I guess. Large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Here is an effort to deny that it ever happened. Their efforts to prevent it failed. And, and now the, the religious leaders devise another scheme, you know. Uh, we can't keep him in the grave. He's already out of the grave. And so we're going we're to bribe people to say that uh, the soldiers took him by night. Get some false witnesses. Some people do anything for money. Anything. They knew that. And they bribed people literally to start spreading the news. They stole his body. They wanted to convince us that he was the Messiah. They stole his body. We don't know where he's at. And then there are some that just dishonor him. It's impossible to disallow it, right? Well, we're talking about God and what God wants to do. You, you cannot... You cannot disallow God to do what God is determined to do. That's impossible. And it's insane to deny it. I mean, we have all of the facts there. There's no, no getting around it. The facts are there. And, and only an insane person would deny all of that. There's, there's more evidence for the resurrection of Christ than there is for all of these famous people that lived down through the ages. And the way we're going with the progressive changing, as it were, history, rewriting history, in one more generation, people are not going to have any clue what, what has happened, what's going on. There's one thing you can rely upon, and that's the Word of God, that it is true. And those three words, the most important words ever spoken, He is risen. He is risen. 
to deny that is insanity and it's iniquity to dishonor it in any way whatsoever. You know, there are a lot of folks that wouldn't make the attempt to disallow it. They, they, they wouldn't deny it, you know, but they're guilty of dishonoring it. And by that, I'm saying that they don't give the Lord the respect that he deserves. They don't honor him for who he is and for what he's done. E even today, there are those that turned it into turn it into a national holiday. And I'm all, listen, I'm all for celebrating the resurrection of Christ. I'm all for that. But what a lot of folks don't realize, and if you're here today and you're one of those that just attend church on Sunday, Easter Sunday, I, I don't intend to hurt your feelings, but I certainly think you need to be enlightened about something. That is that every Sunday is an Easter Sunday. That, that's why we gather. We meet on Sunday. So why do you go to church all the time? Because we, every Sunday, we pay homage to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we rejoice and we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So that's dishonoring to Christ for us to make the decision that, well, you know, I'll, the only time I'm going to to church is, uh, oh, maybe I'll go on Christmas, celebrate his birth, and I'll go celebrate his uh, resurrection on Easter, but I don't want anything to do with it other than that. Now, listen, we're glad you're here. If, if, listen, if you hadn't been in church in the last 10 years, I'm glad you're here this morning. And I hope you come back next week. I hope you just make a habit of coming, in fact. The problem is a lot of folks that believe in the resurrection of Christ and even attend church. At the same time, they dishonor it in the sense that they refuse to submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ. A lot of times, some folks got the idea that just being in attendance at church, that's, that's, that's all God wants, that's all God expects. Just as long as I, you know, attend church with a smile on my face, shake hands with people and Give, give a little money and whatever. Well, that's, that's good enough. Let me tell you, God expects a lot more than that out of, out of all of us. Out of all of us. We could never repay the Lord for what he's done. But then there's, there are others that respond in a different way. They, they don't try to deny it. They couldn't disallow it. They don't dishonor it. But rather than that, they delight in it. Look, look at verse 8, chapter, chapter 28, verse 8. And it says, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, notice, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. Can, can you imagine... Can you imagine how they must have felt? Well, you don't have to imagine, notice. And they came and, and held him by his feet and worshiped him. I mean, we're talking about an emotional experience, the very height of emotion. They are delighting. They, they were worshiping him, holding his feet, and with great joy. It's, it's so amazing that we talk about coming to church that we're going to worship the resurrection of the Lord and yet a lot of folks look like they've been baptized in pickle juice and 
you know, they just ne never any joy. I don't think the Lord's at all disappointed by us showing emotion and rejoicing in Him. Amen. We ought to rejoice. If there's anything in the world we ought to rejoice about, it's this, you see. Now listen carefully, because what I'm going to say next could literally change your life. When I read the Bible, I don't know about you, but as I read through the Bible, I try to put myself and picture myself in the place of those characters. Whether it's good or bad, I, I like to put myself in their place. That gives me a better appreciation for what's going on in their life. But that's never more true than when I think about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I think about his resurrection and his crucifixion, I try to picture myself being in the place of those apostles. Because in their eyes, everything seemed to be lost. It's all gone. It's all been for naught. We've forsaken all to follow Christ. Now he is gone. It's just all in vain. Remember, they had heard his words. They had witnessed his miracles. They had depended upon him day after day after day. He said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to remember the, you know, the foxes have holes to live in, you know, and the birds of the air, they, they have a nest and so forth. And, but if you're going to follow me, uh, you're not going to have a pillow to lay your head upon. I don't know who would volunteer for that, but most people wouldn't. And he says, if, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to forsake all and come and follow me. Who would do that? I'll tell you who will do that. Those that recognize him for who he really is. Those who trust him, who trust in what he did. They're the ones that will forsake all to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is a lot of folks have got all of the beliefs in the proper order. They're orthodox, as it were, when it comes to being correct about their beliefs, and that's well and good. And they look at the resurrection with great joy, perhaps. But what a lot of them don't realize, even though it is absolutely essential to our salvation, for some reason they do not, they do not understand the practical value it is to the Christian. We, we, we know that it's important because, you know, it's the Lord and he's conquering death, hell, and the grave. He's enabling, enabling us to be able to enter into heaven because if everything had stopped just with the crucifixion, we wouldn't have had anything by way of salvation. The, the, the gospel is not just the crucifixion. It's the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Thank God for that. But a lot of folks are wondering, yeah, but, I, you know, I, I go to church every Easter. What practical value is it? Well, it's a lot of practical value. You know, again, put yourself in the place of those apostles. Remember, the Lord says you're going to be my disciple. You've got to forsake everything. And the Bible says, and they forsook all and followed him. Now, I know you can point out a lot of faults about Peter and some of the others. You know, they, they were not perfect. They had some faults. But there's one thing certain. They forsook all their business. 
the fishing business was over, they changed everything in their life, changed that they might follow him. And now here they are. They've witnessed the, res or the, the crucifixion. They've heard him say, it is finished. And then God pulled those three hours of darkness over the earth, and Jesus cried, it's finished, and, and it was all over. So here they are standing there. The emotions of this whole experience has shaken them to the very core. That's why they forgot about what he said about, don't worry about it, in three days I'll be back. They're not even thinking about that. They're probably thinking about seeing his mother and her tears and his brother, brothers, and how they're impacted by it. He's thinking about those apostles themselves, the others. How are they going to deal with this? They have forsaken everything to follow the Lord. The Lord is gone now. Who are they going to depend upon for guidance? Who are they going to depend upon for the substance? Before he got hungry, he'd just work a miracle and kapoof, there it was, but he's gone now. What are they going to do without the Lord? They must have felt hopeless and helpless. And what would the crowd do to them? Remember the Lord warned them that you're going to be hated and persecuted. Some of you will even be put to death. He told them that. And without a doubt, they're thinking, I better get out of Dodge. I better leave the county. We Look, fellas, we better get out here. They'll be coming for us next. I mean, I just try to imagine the conversation that's going on among them before they get the news that he has risen from the grave. And how are they ever going to be able to speak publicly about Christ again? Having been told that you're going to be hated, despised, they crucified their Lord. And you can bank on it, they're going to be coming for them if they get out on the street corner and start preaching about Christ being the Messiah. Seeing all of the vicious evil, the injustice in this world, you try to imagine what those next three days must have been like. I, I, I can't. I suppose whenever they got thirsty, they took a drink of water, they thought. He is the living water, and he's gone. They ate a crust of bread, and they must have thought, he is the bread of life that satisfies. Everything they looked at in some way must have reminded them of him. Three long days, but suddenly... Suddenly, on that resurrection morning, they got the news. He is risen indeed, as he said. It's like that song that says, Then came the morning. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Brother Willie is saying that song a time or two. Then came the morning. Thank God for that resurrection morning. Most wonderful three words, I guess, ever spoken. He is risen now, 
try to imagine how they must have felt now when the women brought the news. It, it, isn't it interesting? I, I, hope, I hope you folks were here Wednesday night. Brother Kenneth brought a really good message about Mary Magdalene. It was a great message and how God used her. And, and it's interesting how God has used women down through the ages. A lot of times we don't give the ladies the respect that they deserve. But I think it's noteworthy that they were, they were there. Mary Magdalene was there. First there, first saw the Lord on a mission to go back now and tell the disciples he is risen. And remember, this comes at a time when everything seems lost to them. Life doesn't even seem like living. Nothing seemed to matter anymore. But then, when they heard those words, he is risen. Everything changed from gloom and doom to delight and glory. Amen. Everything changed. That truth transformed their lives. And I want you to know it can do the same for you. Amen. That's why I keep saying that, that truth demands a response. And God's in the business of saving souls and changing lives. And the reality of the resurrection reminds us that we can have confidence in God's person, in who he is. You can depend upon him. He is the one who is ever faithful, ever true. He's the one, the Bible says he cannot lie. You can depend upon his person. You can depend upon the promises. Think about the promises concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Way back in the Old Testament, his birth, that was prophesied. His resurrection is prophesied. Remember, Job said, in my flesh, I'm going to see God. He knew it wasn't all over. You can depend upon God's promise. I know there are times in your life you're going through great difficulties, and you read the 23rd Psalm or different sections of the Bible. Maybe it's the very scriptures that you have been blessed by in the past. But right now you're going through something that's entirely different. It's, it's put you flat of your back. It's driven you to your knees. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. It seems in your mind that everything is lost and you don't know what to do. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. Amen. Amen. Get your eyes on him because the resurrection proves that he can do anything. That empty tomb is a testimony as to God's power and it gives us the assurance that God can do whatever needs to be done in our life. Oh, I understand that God doesn't do everything we want him to do. He's too smart for that. I mean, it's like a little kid, you know, if you let a little kid, they'd run around with a pair of scissors and fall on them and injure themselves. As a parent, you know you can't allow that child to play with scissors. And out of the depths of God's wisdom, there are times that he knocks the props out from under us, puts us flat of our back, because God knows what would happen were it not for that. We can't see the future. We don't know the future. We don't see the danger or anything else. And there's so many times that we fail to realize 
that out of that tomb that we think of as tragedy, tragedy there's a treasure. That's why the Bible says all things work together for good. Those who love the Lord are the called according to his purpose. Now, I know all of you Christians, you understand the importance of Christ's resurrection concerning salvation. You understand that because it is the affirmation that he is who he claimed to be. The Bible tells us that. God raised him up from the dead because that is the proof the world needs to show that he is who he claimed to be. And we as Christians, we understand that. But a lot of times I don't think we understand the value of the resurrection in our everyday lives. And I say that because a lot of folks don't seem to be aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit who raised up Jesus from the dead. You see, every part of the Trinity had a part in all of redemption's plan. The Holy Spirit raised up the lifeless body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 17, he tells us there that the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Think about that for a minute. I, I know it, it seems surreal. It, it doesn't even seem possible. I mean, I don't even understand how God can be everywhere all of the time. Do you? I mean, God's just as real on the other side of the earth as he is on this side of the earth. You can crawl in a closet and cover up your head and lock the door, but you can't lock God out. You can't get away from God. He is everywhere. Um, that, that staggers our imagination when we think about God like that, an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. And he's dwelling in you. You see, it's the Spirit of God that gives us life. The Bible says to any man hath not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. I know there's a lot of folks talking about what you've got to do to get the Spirit, you know, how you can get the Spirit. Well, if you're born again, you already got the Spirit. Amen. He's living within you. Well, what difference does that make? You say, I'm going to heaven anyway. It makes a big difference. You think about the fruit of the Spirit. The love, the joy, and the peace and ends up with self-control there at the bottom of the list and all of those things. Listen, he does in your life what you could never do in a million years regardless of how hard you tried. Have you ever tried to love your enemies? Well, I, I guarantee you, you failed every time if, if, if it's all dependent upon you trying. You see, trying to love someone's a big difference between loving them and trying to love them have you have you ever tried to be joyful when you're not you're mad at the whole world is let me tell you we'll never find the true joy or oh, we can get giddy over a few things that we take delight in those fleeting things that you know please us one moment and as soon as we don't have those we're back in a state of depression and we've lost our joy 
I'm glad that we can have a joy that's not dependent upon what we've got or what we do. It's dependent on being filled with the Spirit of God. We can be joyful in absolutely every situation. We can have peace regardless of the situation. And it's only because of the fact the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And in light of all of the difficulties that we face, we ought to be encouraged to know of the great power of the Spirit of God is resident, living within us. He's never going to change his address, by the way. He's there, and he's not leaving. You know, a lot of folks that say, well, I don't understand how you Baptists believe in this stuff you call eternal security. You know, once saved, always saved. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how you could believe that. I don't know how you could not believe that. Jesus said, I give unto them, what kind of life? Eternal. Eternal. How long's eternity? Wow. That's the kind of life you have. You know why? Because your life, it's the Spirit of God that is your life. It's it's not some emotional feeling that's here today and gone tomorrow. Thank God for the potential that we have because we serve a risen Savior. Now, being a Christian is certainly not going to exempt you from problems. The Lord never promised you that. But being a Spirit-filled child of God will enable you to endure whatever the problems are. Maybe you're here today and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, preacher, I... I don't know. It's all a good story, but I'm not really convinced. I need some kind of uh, I need some kind of proof, evidence that what you're saying is true. How about this? That is the transformation of the disciples. To me, that's probably the greatest evidence for the resurrection that I can think of. Suddenly. Now remember, Peter had denied the Lord there when he was about to be crucified. He denied him. I don't know the man. You say, boy, I'd never do anything like that. You don't know what you might do in certain circumstances. But he failed. The Bible says all men forsook him and fled. They had failed miserably. But all of a sudden... Something happened that changed them from what they were. It transformed them. The fear is given away to courage now. Everything is different. What made it different? It was the knowledge of the fact that our Savior is not dead. He is alive. Now, you see, whenever they realize that and they begin to think about all of these promises that he had given them before and they begin to recall them now oh yeah now we remember now we know what he was talking about when he said destroy this temple and i'll raise it up again in three days now we know what he's talking about when he said i go to jerusalem you know and they're 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 going to hate me they're going to crucify me but in three days i'll be raised from the grave now we know And see how meaningful that becomes because at that point, 
without a doubt, they are recalling the other promises that he gave. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, he didn't stop there with saying, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to be raised from the dead, and then it's all going to be over, be back to business as usual. He didn't say that. You remember him teaching about the kingdom? That's what his message was. He and John the Baptist came teaching what? The kingdom of God is at hand. And God's plan goes beyond the resurrection of Christ. He ascended back into heaven and he told us that he's coming back again. And he tells us that one day he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth. You see, now these guys are thinking and remembering all of this stuff. And they are literally being transformed. Amen. I mean, here on one hand, to begin with, you've got this bumbling, frightened, traumatized bunch of scattered, powerless disciples. And man, the moment they find out that he is risen, they could not stop them from preaching daily in every house and the streets and the temple and everywhere they went preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Knowing what he said. Yes. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. Some of you will even be put to death. That didn't stop them one bit. And I don't think there's anything in all of the world that would have changed them to that extent except knowing he's alive. He's alive. All is not in vain. All of his promises are true. It's really true. So why does the resurrection matter so much to you? I'll tell you why. Because every person here has a problem of some sort. And the unsaved person has a problem of the worst sort. It, it couldn't be any worse for you as an unsaved person because there's, you can't help yourself and nobody else can help you. Nobody can save you. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Your only hope of salvation is by trusting Christ as your Savior. Your only hope of, of forgiveness, of acceptance, of reconciliation, of transformation, your only hope of heaven is to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And believe me, believe what the Bible says, he'll receive whosoever. He won't turn anyone away who with a sincere heart comes to him with a repentant attitude and places their faith in him as their Lord and Savior. You could be saved today. You, you could have a resurrection today, as it were, a spiritual resurrection, because believe me, if you're not saved, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, the Bible says. That, look, not just you. That's the way we all are by nature. Until we're born again, we're all separated from God. We're dead to God. There's no spiritual life within us. 
But the moment that we receive him, we become a child of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And here's the good news. If God, if God could do what he did in raising Jesus from the dead and in saving your sin-sick soul, you don't have any problem that's difficult for God. Some of you may be thinking to yourself, yeah, but you've never walked in my shoes. You don't know what I'm going through. No, I, I don't. But I know you don't have any problem. It's too big for God. With him, all things are possible. There might be someone here today, you've been saved, but you are so distraught. You, 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 life doesn't even seem worth the living. Nothing's turned out the way you wanted it to. You're just living doom and gloom every day. I want you to know you don't have to live that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Oh, I know we're all imperfect. We all fail at times, but we don't have, we don't have to live in a state of despair. We don't have to live without joy unspeakable and full of glory and peace that passeth all understanding because the Spirit of God's living within us. The same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. And I hope this message today will raise your hopes up out of the pit of despair to where you will leave here believing that with God all things are possible. Don't you dare give up. Because God hasn't given up on you. This will be the most wonderful day of your life if you're here and unsaved, if you was to trust Christ as your Savior. You don't have to run down the aisle. You don't have to turn cartwheels. You don't have, you don't have, to, you don't have to say anything to anybody to be saved. Because you're not saved by a prayer. You're not saved by joining the church. You're saved by grace through faith. Amen. And you, you can believe whether you're there where you are or whether you're up on top of the building. Wherever you are, that moment that you place your trust in Christ, you can become a child of God. And that's, for your sake, that's what I'm asking you to do this morning. And if you're already saved and you're struggling, it, it might be a physical problem, it might be a domestic issue, it might be, might be that you can't even pay your bills right now. You're just struggling, all kinds of difficulties. God can take care of that. He can. And if we do as he wants us to do, believe me, God will take care of it in one way or the other. He'll meet your needs. We have not because we ask not. Stand with us, please, as Tim comes, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. God has given certain promises, and yet too many times, week after week after week, we come to this point, and folks walk out the door without claiming any of those promises. There's only one reason you would do that, and that's because that for some, some way or another, Satan has convinced you that you'd be better off leaving here without Christ than rather than trusting him. And I'll tell you, it's a lie. The greatest day of your life is that day that you put your trust in Jesus Christ.
The best life you could ever live after that is to follow his commands, to do his will, to serve him. And that'll make you happier than anything else in all the world possibly could. Let's sing to him.